on the question of, do I really want to grow spiritually? I could have said, do you really want to grow spiritually? But grammatically, that would be incorrect because the question is, do I want to grow spiritually? And each one of us have to, we have to take this in first person, singular. Do I want to grow spiritually? Do I want to grow? There is no solution for what we are facing as a nation and as a culture without a revived church. Okay? This year, starting up probably about now and increasing as we go, you're going to hear a lot of talk and chatter on the political solution that we need from various groups. Okay? And I would ask that as a born-again child of the living God that you would resist getting sucked in to temporal solutions. What the world needs, what America needs, what the Western hemisphere of Christianity needs is not a political solution. It needs a revived church. It needs a church that is full of Christians that believe the Bible you say, well, that's, that, that is an oxymoron because on one hand, if you're a Christian, you're going to believe the Bible. How could you be a Christian and not believe the Bible? But things have digressed to the point and decayed so much in our time that there are actually people standing up professing to be Christians and saying, you don't even need to believe in Jesus to be a Christian because it has taken on some new ethereal Experience filled in by whatever the flesh can muster. We can't do anything about, about the others that are out there trying to create some new reality. Okay? You can no more go to an Antifa gathering and talk sense to them and get them to change any more that they could do the same to us. We're not changing. So what's going to change? We can cultivate the presence of God in our lives, okay? As we do that, we become change agents through which His Spirit works mightily. When the sin of the church is dealt with, then the culture begins to notice it because it notices the change within that, that, that church. What we need is radical Renewal. What we need is biblical. Biblical revival. Not revivalism. Not a tent meeting. Not a big band to come in and blow you away with guitar solos and fog. But what we need are wet altars, worn Bibles, and calloused knees. Imagine one of the greatest assemblies that could happen in any hamlet, county, city, or or state across this nation would be this. Let us not gather churches for a political rally. Let us gather, yet rather, for a solemn assembly where we gather in the name of Jesus, repenting of our sins as individuals against others in the church and without Confessing our sins as churches to the communities that we've served or not served. And confessing our sins to God with whom 
we have grown tired or apathetic or disinterested. And let us covenant together to stay in that solemn assembly until he comes. That would change things. Do you know how much humility that would take for churches to get together to do that? A lot. So what I want to talk today then is this question. Do I really want to grow spiritually? Now, no Christian who genuinely is a Christian would say, no, I don't want to grow spiritually. Why would I want to do that? Of course we would all say that. But I would say, as I think his name was Larry Burkett. He used to be uh, before, uh, before the new guy. <laughs> he, that's it. Thanks, Sharon. Before Dave Ramsey, Larry Burkett would often say, if uh, he could always tell where a Christian family's uh, priorities were by looking at their checkbook. Okay, And so we can always tell where our spiritual priorities are by looking at how worn our Bibles are, by looking at where we spend our time. Look, half measures and excuses have got to close. How many hours a day do you think people spend mindlessly surfing the internet, Instagram, Facebook, I should call it farce book because it's not real. It's staged. Um, they're trying to fill, fulfill the whole best life now. Well, your best life now happens in about a nanosecond because if you wait after that, it's not so great, right? But we, we scroll through these things. Meanwhile, the time that we're eating away, the Bible says redeem the time for the days are evil, right? The, the time is eaten away and, and we're not drawing near to God. Here's a verse I learned this week. Those, God is near to those who fear Him. Try that. God is near to those who fear Him. We don't talk a lot about fear of God anymore in the church. We talk about how things are going to get better for you if you'll just think positively. Or how cool we are because we have hologram preachers or something okay we're on the cutting edge of tech and we have cool t-shirts that market our church and bumper stickers or how many people we have come to the service fear of God is found in this that I know who I am I know that I am a sinner saved by grace and I know that if it weren't for God's keeping mercy I would be a complete and total disaster if not dead and that I need him and that I want him. And that I'm willing to take up the fight against myself to have him. As he works in me, I'm going to work out what he's working in. And I hate that at just at 50, I'm finally beginning to put all the dots together. But I'll tell you this much. I was raised on a steady diet of vanilla in my formative years as a Christian. And I thank God we see a tiny reformation happening in our midst. We've got a lot of the young Christians, like I'm talking 20-year-olds and down, saying, give me substance. I've had enough of Skittles. Don't try to attract me with pizza. I want to know God, not pepperoni. Okay? I want a youth minister that doesn't act like me, but leads. In fact, I want a pastor. And why do you cycle me off thinking I'm too dumb to know anything, when in fact, all of you 
you don't know any more than I do as a 20-year-old. They think this way. And they're saying, give me a church like that. It's happening across the nation. Because God is moving across the nation. So, do I think things are going to get better? You bet I do. But I also think it's going to be tough. But tough is not bad. Just because, just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's not right. But it's time we get busy. So the question, do I really want to grow spiritually, is your epicenter for where to start. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Let's stand for the reading of, of the Word of God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Did you hear that? That's an imperative. That's a command. Rejoice in the Lord. And why wouldn't you? For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then finally, the emphasis of the verse is not that I have already attained... Or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind... And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Let's pray. Lord, there is much to be said here. And there is a complete dichotomy between human fulfillment and human achievement and spirit-wrought maturity. Let us see the difference and let us ask ourselves as we, as we do, do I, do I really want to grow spiritually that we may press on? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I read all that because I just, by, by, by virtue of introductions, pericopes need to be handled very carefully and it's, it's easy to get things out of context. Paul starts off his, his whole mode of introducing pressing on by talking about who he is. He would be what we might call a double doc or a paradox. 
literally two PhDs, okay, a pair of docs, get it, two doctorates, okay, <laughs> come on, that's, that's a skill set, okay, it gets better when you have grandkids, um, but he was, he was the most educated theologian probably of his day. God miraculously saved him by divine election before the foundation of the world. As he said to Ananias, he is a chosen vessel of mine. And then probably the most sobering words about the calling that Paul gave him. For I'm going to show him all the things he must suffer for my sake. So then we have this introduction that being a faithful Christian sometimes entails suffering. See, we've been given this idea, no, no, not for us. We're American Christians. We don't suffer. We, we get out of jail free. We get escape. No, you don't. God is in his mercy has blessed us with many years of peace. And as one author I was reading recently put it, we have basically used up the capital that the previous generations of Christians have given us. Okay? The, the, the account is almost dry. Those freedoms are quickly eroding. And it's time we take a stand. Because after all, that's normal Christianity everywhere else. But Paul comes along in, in his calling as a chosen vessel of God and says, I know lots of things about the Torah, but I know Christ more. I have degrees. I was a Pharisee. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was this and I was that. And he said, it's trash. People want to come along and tell you guys, he says, that you need Jesus, that's okay, that's fine, but you have to keep the law of Moses, you have to be circumcised, you men, and you have to do all this, and you have to do all that, because after all, Jesus is great, but he's just not quite enough. They still say that today. And Paul says, I used to be one of those guys, but now thank God he circumcised my heart. Jeremiah 31, I will give them a new heart. Okay? And so then he comes along and he says, I knew, I've known all this, but now I know him. And it's out of that knowledge of knowing Christ that he presses forward. So, the question, do, do I, do you really want to grow spiritually is going to be shown by how you really live. Now first, first let me differentiate. I'm not talking that you should show no human emotion of weakness or despair. Did you know that there are a lot of people these days suffer from anxiety, depression? Uh, stress is huge. And we are people in these bodies, right? So, so uh, uh, as people have physical health Conditions that you might find them in a bad way. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps their diabetes is flaring up and, and they're having a bad week and they're not the most joyful person to be around. That does, that's not a reflection of their love for Jesus. It's a reflection of the fact that they're human and in a body. Okay? 
And I'm amazed at those who are, who are very sick a lot that just seem to have a joy that oozes out of them because I'm, I, I complain. I, I, I have a tendency to complain, get to complaining sarcastically with a touch of humor because after all, that's what ADHD people do. That's what they do. They use it. Um, but, but when you're talking about baggage from your past, when you become a Christian, suddenly that all this doesn't disappear. It still rises up to try to get you, but it in no way implies you don't love Jesus. But what, what, what needs to be seen is a constant pursuit of pressing forward towards the Lord. And a love for God's people out of a love for Jesus that is ever growing and ever increasing. And one of the first and primary means of that is you are always repenting. Not to be saved, but because you are because you don't want any static on the line. You don't want anything in between you and God. And you're growing more and being conformed to his likeness. So do I really want to grow spiritually? It's going to be manifested by how I pursue God. A desire for a holy life then is a conforming to who the image of Jesus is. As he's revealed in the scripture. Not out of the latest most fastidious pastoral personality. There's some dumb things being said today. Okay? And a lot of people are buying it because they've been weaned on Skittles. So, I just want to say, it's time that we get back to the old paths and walk in them. The verse that I want to really focus in, though, is, on, is in verse 14. Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what we might call one of the most famous verses on all the coffee cups in the land. But I'm, I don't, I'm not sure that we are all aware of what it requires. Okay? So, let's get the words. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. The only thing we do is press. Everything else is in Christ, but I'll tell you this much, and try to get this in your, in your head. You work because He works first. You're going to work out what He's worked in. Okay? So I, I initially uh, read this this past summer in Jerry Bridges' uh, Pursuit of Holiness devotional. And here is a synopsis of the paragraph, or the couple of paragraphs and the question. He says, all of us face the pressure of more to do than we have time for. Amen? So we have, set, we have to set priorities. We have to determine what's more important in our lives. We have to ask, do I really want to grow spiritually. Get your goal clearly in mind and keep focused on that. Paul used the analogy of the competitive races of his day to challenge the Corinthians to pay the price of growth. So, he asked the question, what is your spiritual growth? What is your spiritual goal? I'm going to stop right there. Do you have a spiritual goal? Have you even asked that question? Do you have one? 
Do you really want to get the prize? Do you want to grow to be the man or woman God wants you to be? This isn't uh, semantical. This is real. Do you want to pay the price of spiritual disciplines you need to practice in order to grow? Do you want that? Or will you be content to sort of muddle through your Christian life? I'm going to read that one again. Or will you be content to just muddle through your Christian life? And at the end, have to sum it all up is no more meaningful than a trip to the corner store for a loaf of bread. He writes, the choice is yours. What will it be? That's heavy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, if that verse now that's on your coffee cup was staring you in the face, you'd probably put it in the back of the cabinet. But it's time the American Christian asks themselves very hard questions. Do you want, do I really want to grow spiritually? What does that look like? It's not complex. It's not complicated. Notice verse 14 in the words, I press. To press literally means to pursue, is what he's saying. The Greek word used here is dioko, and denotes chasing, hunting, and even striving. So let's just use those words, those descriptors, and let's ask if that is demonstrated in you every day. So if I was to go to my son, I'm going to pick on him. Hey, Wes. Yesterday in your Christian life, did you chase, hunt, and strive after Christ? He's going to kill me later. Do, did we, does that describe our, does that describe our heart, our passion? The imagery of the Olympic runners in ancient Greece demonstrated this kind of pursuit or pressing by the way they completed or by the way they competed for a perishable crown. They gave everything they had to win. And interestingly, this is important, the word dioko can also mean to persecute. So there's a positive aspect of it, right? Chasing, hunting, pursuing. And what that means if you're a competitive athlete or a good, a good hand, a good employee or whatever. But it also has a negative persecution, persecute. How strange. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 11, Paul describes his ungodly but zealous efforts to crush the church. Now remember, before the Lord saved him, he was a persecutor of the church. And an ardent one. Unequal, I would imagine. And we see that when... Uh, was be, uh, Man, he was the first one killed. <laughs> My, Stephen, thanks. <laughs> when Stephen was being stoned to death, they, Paul guarded the clothes and the wardrobe, lest they should sully themselves as they were killing poor Stephen. 
Paul guarded the clothes. He came with the orders to do this against the people of the way. And he talks a lot about his zeal, Paul does. He goes on to write, and this is the verse, Acts 26, 11, And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Here is a, a Jew of Jews who's supposed to not blaspheme the name of God. Compelling through abuses others to do that. Because that's how wackadoo religion is. Okay? Can you imagine? I I compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged, he says, against them, I persecuted Dioko. Even to foreign cities. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Dioko. Before, it denotes chasing Hunting and striving. We're like, yeah, that's good stuff. That's like showing a lot of, a lot of effort. <laughs> a lot of commitment. But I think actually the word and its, fear, its ferocity is better articulated through the negative. Because what we see in the Apostle Paul after his meeting on the Damascus Road with Jesus, when he got knocked off his horse backwards... And Jesus appeared to him and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When Paul got set loose from his sin and when he got, when he got filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that same zeal that we read in the negative, the same, the same thing we read in, in 2611, he completely flipped it and did all the opposites for Jesus. And he went out with that same dioko for God and his word and for his church. And he said, you rejoice doing it. And he bore in his marks, the bo- uh, his, his body, the marks of the Lord Jesus. All the things that he had experienced, almost even, well, left for dead after being stoned. Having that major eye problem. If things aren't bad enough, the Lord will give you something else just to keep you Dependent on his strength. Because here's why. Jesus said, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Well, then I would have to probably say, I guess make me weak. That's terrifying. So how much do you want to grow spiritually? Do you understand this life is very temporary? Some of you are further along in it than others. But we all, we all will taste death. But if you're in Christ, not alone. In fact, I believe if Jesus promised to never leave us nor forsake us, there won't even be a nanosecond that he will be departed from me. Now, my body may do all kinds of things and may show all kinds of things Okay, but my soul will simply be carried off because he will never, there won't be darkness for me. There won't be abstract fear of a passing through. Okay, there's no intersection 
where you stop and wait for traffic to pass. It will simply be, I'm here, and then I'm with him. That's our promise. So with with that kind of hope and with that kind of zeal, Paul goes on and he preaches the gospel everywhere. So in this paragraph at the bottom, this verse captures the kind of determination and drive, albeit in the negative, that Dioko describes. And so per the question, does the word Dioko describe you? In your desire to grow spiritually. Does it describe you? Does it describe me? And, and, and this isn't about like, what is it that book? Uh, the Who's and they all had their little star. Some had stars, some had circles or something. I can't remember. Or no, that was another book by, oh, Church of Christ writer. Mm, man with a golden pen. And Eli was a carpenter, and uh, they had stars, and some of the little dolls in his wood ship uh, shop, he had, some had stars, and some had circles, and, and so they all thought the ones with stars were better, so then suddenly all the ones with circles started wanting stars, and, then, and, and so it was just ridiculous. So we all measure ourselves to each other, but I want to tell you, just please stop it, because you need to measure yourself to Christ, okay? I mean, that's what you got to do. Don't look at me, or don't look at Jeff, or don't look at, I don't know, who else? Megan? Okay, so Megan's like, don't look at me. Okay, <laughs> okay, don't look at superheroes of the faith in the sense that I got to be like them. No, you got to be like Jesus. Because if they were worth their salt and they were true leaders of the church, they're going to be telling you, don't look at me, look at Jesus. That's what they're going to be saying. So, <clears throat> do I want to grow spiritually? The next part of this, he says, I press on. Toward the goal for the prize. To, toward, there's a goal in mind. Did you know what? Jesus just isn't to give you fire insurance to escape hell's damnation. And if that's all you think it is, you haven't been saved. Because if you had, you would never cheapen the glorious gospel and mercy of Christ in your life to such a cliché. You could never do that. You wouldn't dream of saying that to your king. You love him too greatly. No. There's a goal. It's his glory. Oh, it, it isn't a bigger church building. It, it isn't degrees or how many people I can say got saved under my ministry or... It's his glory. Do you see? Remember we were talking about the preeminence of Christ? He's second to none. Especially us. The only thing we have good is from him anyway. So the goal is his glory. Oh, and and he's the prize too. Do you understand? Do I want to go to heaven when I die? I'm going to answer it this way. Do I want to go to heaven when I die? See, I think a lot. That's a problem that I have. The answer is no. I want to go to him. You understand the difference? 
Heaven is great. Heaven's temporary. There's going to be a new heaven and a new, I mean, a new, a new world and it's a renewed earth and all that and a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Do I want heaven? Well, sure, but, but I really just want him. He is my heaven. To be carried along in his life. To, to be perfected without this, this sin barrier. To look upon him without the lens of the flesh. But then I get the renewed flesh that's going to be like, take it in. Right? No sunglasses needed. Oh, that's what I want. So if you say, Mickey, you want to go to heaven when you die? I want Jesus. I want to go to Jesus when I die. And I'm gonna, I want to stick right there for a couple millennium, just taking him in. Then I might say something. Because that's the prize. How can there be a better prize? So race and prize, or in the New King James, goal and prize, these words are descriptors of great desire. Do you get that? They are the raw ingredients required for the effort. One time, Rindy made a pumpkin pie for Christmas. She made two of them. And we looked so forward to those until we took the bite and we realized one of the raw ingredients was forgotten. Sugar. So we had squash pie. It was like eating a vegetable. It didn't get ate. The raw ingredients of our great desire are Jesus Christ, His glory, and me giving Him my life by His calling to use as He see fits. C.T. Studd, you ever heard of him, anybody? He used to be a professional cricket player back in the uh, 1800s. He was a professional British cricket, cricketer, actually, who experienced a powerful conversion to Jesus Christ, and with the fervor and drive that an athlete of his caliber possessed, he pursued Christ for the goal and the prize. He took all that. And he, and, he, and he lived it for Christ. He was a powerful preacher of the gospel and was very gifted in originating memorable aphorisms, little anecdotes. Three of his most famous are this. And now listen, they're very good. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How often we need to take those in, right? Or... Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Or, lastly, Christ wants not nibblers of the possible, but grabbers of the impossible by faith in the omnipotence, fidelity, and wisdom of the Almighty Savior. That guy's notch was turned up all the way. That volume was loud for Jesus. Now, CT's been gone a long time from this earth. But that's left behind. So, with that being said, 
do, do you want to grow spiritually? Really? Is, it, is your great desire on that level? Is mine? Does this describe your passion for the goal and the prize? What is the prize? Well, let's go back in verse 8. It's right there on the page. Philippians chapter 3. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And he says it right there. That's the answer. The infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ the Lord. That's, that's the grand prize. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I, I remember recently I was uh, cleaning up some stuff around the house this past summer. And I was listening to uh, a, uh, a message about a a former mega church pastor in California, eh. and uh, and so I mean he he was the full gamut. Now he was a Christian. He loved Jesus. He did. He was genuinely born again, and he went about things the way everyone around him said to do it. Okay, because he was he was very charismatic and and very and I mean that his personality was just you know so he had a team of people and there were some other saved friends and they went headlong into just doing it the way. They looked around and the way it was being done until he said he really began to to dig down deep in his Bible. And he began to see a lot of the things that he was promoting and developing and doing were more for the show and not the glow. More More for the people to see than the king to be pleased with. It was, he, he had a, it was about an hour deal. He said he had to just repent. And God began to systematically discard all of the bad doctrine and theology that he had just been picked up and subjected to. Then, he had to go and tell his team. What happened is a miracle. They all sought the Lord for a long period of time and came to the same conclusions then they set out to make a public declaration to the church, which was big. And that's the name of the game, right? Big. Roy sometimes will say, big. Well, I think they shrank to less than half. But they stayed faithful. Now he says, we're no longer the big church, but we're a healthy church. And we have people that love Jesus. And they love his word. And they love each other. Not just the show. What a radical transformation. And where did it all come from? Well, it came from many places. It came from a raw exposure to the scripture. As the Holy Spirit was sanctifying the young man. As the Lord was sanctifying the young man. And revealing the word to him. 
God aligned his heart right with the Savior. And then he began to tell his friends. And they also got lined out right because of the influence of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as a means of grace. And the next thing you know, a whole church is transformed to make Jesus preeminent, not the brand. So the answer, the infinite value of knowing Christ The New King James Version uses the word excellence. Both infinite in the NLT and excellence in the NKJV are translated from the compound Greek word, and I like words, sorry, right, JT? (laughs) Or hyper-echo, if you want. Okay, it's a compound Greek word. And here's here's what he's trying to say. We're talking about the excellence, the infinite uh, of, of knowing Christ. Here's what it means. Hyper means to go way past something or to exceed. We always think about a hyperextended knee. It's past where it should be. It's not very good. Echo in the Greek word is the Greek word which means to have or to hold. So taken together, Paul is saying that the prize and goal in verse 14 is knowing or having and holding Jesus in such a super exceedingly way that it, the prize and the goal, is indescribable and full of glory as 1 Peter 1.8 says. So, knowing him then is hooper echo. Way past knowing, man. It's great. (laughs) Okay. It's a lot of knowing. And it demonstrates the woeful inadequacy of all the words, of all the world's vocabulary to describe. That's, That's how powerful knowing Christ is. That's what that word in your English Bible really actually means. The excellence of knowing Christ. Is this how you feel about knowing Christ? Do you see this as the ultimate prize? It's a question, isn't it? It's a real question. Is that how you see it? Lastly, we all find ourselves vacillating between varying degrees of pursuit. We know that we know what the prize is, but sometimes we just feel disconnected. And have about as much fizz and enthusiasm as a flat bottle of pop. But during these times, remember the gospel. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that keeps you. Grace has a name. What is his name? Is he not the author and finisher of our faith? Is he not the captain of our salvation? Will he not complete that which concerns you and me? He will. Verse 9 and 14 then in our scriptures. He says, And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Compared to verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? But the emphasis is that Christ is the one from which these things come to us. If you are in Christ, then you are kept in Christ. Now, I want you to understand that this word kept means if you have a town that is under threat of attack and a mighty military garrisons in your town and throws up ramparts and towers to guard you and keep you. That's what it means. That's what the word kept means. First Peter 1.5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God garrisons in your soul, your whole being. He buttresses you in. He builds walls and towers And he plants himself there saying, you can't come all the way to the enemy. In fact, I'm keeping this one. And what I allow will be limited for my glory and purpose. But I've got this one. They're mine. You see what I mean? That's what the verses say. You are kept, guarded, and protected in your race, Christian. You are. You are kept, guarded, and protected. That doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. I don't know where all that came from anyways. Jesus made it very clear all the whole time. In this world, you will have tribulation. And you're going to be persecuted. And that's just how it is. But be of good cheer. What does it say, Sharon? I have overcome the world, right? That's what he said. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. So if you should say, should God call me to martyrdom? Isn't that a negative? No, it's a glory. You get a crown. And you get to throw it right back at his feet. Not everybody gets to do that. Don't go out and pick it, right? And in fact, all the sufferings that you have are, are very carefully orchestrated by your loving king. Who orders all things according to your good and his glory. Don't forget that. Since Christ is the author of your faith to begin with. Then also remember he is the finisher of your faith to end with. Don't give up just because you're limping. Instead pursue. Even with a limp. Lastly. We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I'm going to ask you again, do you you really want to grow spiritually? Do I? And I'm going to tell you, of course you do. Or you wouldn't be here. So take courage that God, that, that God in his grace and the grace of who Christ is, is causing you to press forward. So you keep going forward. You keep yielding to, your, him, to yourself to him every day. And you keep going forward. You get in your Bible and you stay there every morning. You won't be very healthy, Christian, unless you do. There's no excuse for a lazy saint. You've got to read. It's what he gave it to us for. If you can read owner's manuals and Instagram posts and ingredients on the back of things that you think might make you fat, you can read the Bible. Okay? You can read the Bible. So what do you want the most? Do you want to grow spiritually? I don't know that i got anything else to add to that. But I would, I would finish with this. As a church, we have a mandate to seek the Lord, to glorify Him in all that we do, 
to resist mediocrity and to press toward the prize together of the upward call of God in Christ. I'm going to ask JT to come. And as he does, we're going to prepare for the Lord's table. I want to ask the deacons to come right now and set up the table. And uh, we're going to have a time of examination before we do. That examination looks like this. Who can participate in the Lord's table? Those who know the Lord. If you're not a Christian, it's, it's nothing for you. You have to be born again to partake of the table. When we take of the bread, we take of his body. When we take of the cup, we take of his blood. If you don't know Christ today, you're still dead in your sins. And I would, as much as I could plead with any man and woman, repent and be saved. Turn your life over to Christ. Give it up. His wrath abides upon you. Don't you understand? This day is a gift to you in his mercy. Be saved today. And Christian, if you've really found yourself getting a little too comfortable here and and, and embracing the lullaby of the American gospel, repent. Pick Pick up your plow and go forward.